We are uh, finishing up here the last month or so of systematic theology, which is the uh, organized study of the doctrines of Scripture. And we are working through several week lesson on on the doctrine of the church. And uh, so let me just give a little bit review, uh, then we'll pray and we'll get started into today's lesson. Anybody remember what the main purpose of the local church is? What did we say the primary function of it should be? Right. The edification, or we could say the education of believers. That is, that we are responsible to minister the truth to one another. And the result of that will be uh, spiritual growth. And that's what Christ called us to do. And the Great Commission is very clear. That we are to make disciples of all nations, not make converts only, right? He didn't say go out and just reach a lot of people, you know, spread the gospel to a lot of people and that's it. No, his primary uh, command for us is that we make disciples. So that means that as a church, our job is to make disciples of one another. He makes that clear too at the end of that um, commission that he gives to his disciples and to us that we should teach them all you should teach them all that I have commanded you. Okay, so it's not uh, actually teach them to observe. Okay, so it's not just I'm going to give you the facts, but rather I want you to be able to understand them and be able to practice them. So, when is that job done for a local church? Right? Not in this lifetime. And so uh, we have a huge responsibility. And so that means that as we as we do our job, that there should be spiritual growth. This will result in spiritual growth within the church. And we talked about the two expressions of our spiritual growth. What does that look like? Okay, what does that look like in us individually? What does that look like as a whole for our whole congregation? And there are two expressions of spiritual growth. Uh, we have the vertical expression. Um, we have the vertical expression, our, our worship of God. And then the horizontal expression of our spiritual growth was what? Fellowship, right? We are ministering the truth to one another. That that we don't just come here because it's a social uh, gathering or in order to develop relationships, but actually we're, we're developing a bonding relationship that has to do with our relationship with Christ. All right, so... If our job is education, then that means we must minister the Word of God to one another, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. And um, so, if we're ministering the Word of God to one another, then that also means that we have to minister the Word of God to people outside of this community and um, outside of this church community, I should say. Okay, so in our community, in the larger region, and then, and then in the other most parts of the earth. All right, so today we're going to talk about that second aspect there. Um, We've talked about our ministering the Word of God to one another, but now we're going to talk about ministering the Word of God to people outside of our church through evangelism. So let me pray and we'll we'll get into this uh, study this morning. Father, we recognize that apart from You, we can do nothing. Unless You build the house, we labor in vain. And so all of our efforts even this morning in this class, are, are futile apart from Your grace. And so we ask for You to pour out upon us Your grace as we 
speak and as we listen and as we learn, as we understand, as we look at Your Word, may You give us the eyes to see and the hearts that are willing to turn and, and to be changed, to be more like Jesus Christ. And we pray that in our endeavor to reach people for Christ, that You would use us as Your vessels. We know that You could, uh, if You wanted to, have the rocks cry out and give praise to You. They, they could do all the witnessing if You wanted to. But You've chosen to use us and other believers throughout the world. And so we are humbled at that, but we're also, uh, we also recognize that we need You in, in, our, in this responsibility to reach people. So help us, we pray, to understand our role, understand the power and the beauty of Your Gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Alright, so we'll start with personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. Um, there's uh, basically two uh, objectives that we're looking for within evangelism. We have a personal responsibility and then a corporate responsibility, that is, as a whole church. So we'll look at both of those uh, this morning. And uh, again, our objective is to minister the Word to one another. And so that means that, that personal evangelism is the pursuit of bringing a person to genuine saving faith. We'll talk about what that means and how, how that plays out and what, what our responsibility in that. But, but what we should see is that this should not be done apart from a local church. Okay? Personal evangelism should not be done apart from the local church. There are many parachurch organizations out there who view evangelism as a personal responsibility, and many of them have um, produced genuine converts through their ministry, so I don't want to completely degrade them. Um, but but the Bible very clearly teaches that all ministry is inseparable from the local church. It should be. And I think personal witness is, is no exception. You could have an evangelist okay, who goes around different cities, brings in a lot of people, and perhaps produces genuine converts, but never points those people to a local church. And I would say that while they're doing a great service to God and in, in, in leading people to Christ, they're actually doing a, also a great disservice to God and not pointing them to Christ's thing that Christ loves most, His church. And, uh, and, so, and so we have to recognize that the, the Scriptures teach that the local church is very much a part of, of uh, personal evangelism. It should not be separated from the other. So, first we see the local church is the source of personal witness, that the authority that we have to witness on behalf of Christ comes from uh, our connection to the church. Christ was speaking to His disciples who would be the foundation later on of the church. Um, and, um, and He speaks to them this great commission that I already mentioned earlier. And also the local church provides the personnel to witness. In the Bible, the source of of the godly individuals who have been prepared for evangelism, they come from the local church, right? Um, if you read through the book of Acts, you're not going to find these, kind of these Lone Ranger Christians that are out there witnessing. No, they're actually commissioned from. In fact, on Wednesday night, we're working through Acts chapter 13 this past week, and you saw that the church was the one who commissioned Paul and Barnabas. They're not some independent, uh, you know, independent mission group or something like that. They're they're part of and responsible and accountable to local churches. And they have to come back and report to them. We're going to see that later on 
in the book of Acts. And so the local church is very much a vital part of personal witness. Local church is also the means of personal witness. It's the means. Um, The best way that you can be uh, prepared to do personal witness is through being a part of a local church. Okay, there's several aspects of that uh, that we could talk about, but I'll just mention one: doctrine. Okay, your understanding of the scriptures is very much determined by your connection to a local church. And the reason I say that is because Ephesians chapter four talks about this. I've pointed you there a couple times. We won't turn there again, but. The way that we avoid being tossed about by every wind and doctrine, the way that we are reminded, refreshed, um, encouraged, strengthened by the true message of the gospel is by being a part of a local church and interacting with other people who can say to us, no, that's not what the Scriptures say when we start to stray off course with regard to our understanding of the gospel. But see, that doesn't happen when you're all on your own. That doesn't happen when you're living on an island by yourself. You have to have the local church as a part as a as a pillar and support of the truth as Paul says. Okay? Now I'm not saying that the local church is above the scriptures, but it is God's means God God's means by which he will he will strengthen us in our understanding of the scriptures. And so we we need each other. It it provides accountability, encouragement, and of course intercession. One of the things that that we commit to do when we become members of this church is to pray for one another. And we pray for one another with regard to their witnessing opportunities. We pray for specific names for other people within our church. And so there's a, the local church is certainly vital to our personal witness. And then local church involvement is the target of personal witness. I mean, again, we're not looking to... We're not looking to just make converts. Christ never told us to make converts alone. That's assumed in His command to make disciples. We can't have disciples without converts, right? That's assumed that we have to make converts. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is to get them into a local church and get them trained and and matured in the Christian faith. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Next, the method of personal witness. The method of personal witness. How do we do this? I mean, what? How do we? How are we involved in personal evangelism? And I would say, number one, that personal evangelism is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. It it, it happens through our the context of our life. You know what we say has to be supported by who we are. Or to put it another way, a person must be a witness before he can do witnessing. Um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll show you an example of this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now clearly the power of the Gospel is such that God can work with just the Word alone and with a person just hearing the message. Uh, you see this in Paul's life, that he, he witnessed to several people, even strangers, and saw them come to Christ. But generally speaking, Paul's converts and most converts in the Scriptures come from relationships. 
that people are actually just showing them uh, uh, kindness and love. They're 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 having a um, a loving relationship, and then that usually opens a door for the spread of the gospel. Would someone read verses one and two, First Peter chapter three? Mm-hmm. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your faith and respect their behavior. All right. So what's Peter saying here? For you, you believing wives who have unbelieving husbands, um, the way that you get them to come to Christ is you keep nagging them with the gospel. Okay. Now there's a sense in which you do keep going after them with the gospel, but it's not always just with word. Now, we have to be we have to balance that with Romans chapter 10, that how can they call on Him in whom they have not heard? So, we don't want to separate these things and say, all she has to do is have a godly life. Just live a godly life without ever telling Him about the gospel. Right? No one can get saved that way, just by a testimony. It has to be both. And so, these things go together. But what Peter's saying is, is the way that he is one is... He sees that your words about the gospel are genuine because he sees your, look at verse 2, chaste and respectful behavior. Okay, so personal, and that's just an example of how it would work in a, in a home, but I think we can take the principles from that and take it to all of our relationships. That as people see your chaste and respectful behavior, your, your, your godly behavior among them, then your gospel uh, message can uh, can have validity, um, can uh, can be seen as genuine. Um, just think about the other extreme, just to, to tease this out a little bit. Okay, you tell them about what the gospel is and what Christ saves the person from while you're living in, and the same sorts of sins that they're living in. Right? Think about all the worst types of sins that they're committing, and you say, well, this is what Christ is. Well, why would I want to be saved from that? I mean, what am I saved from and what am I saved to? Because you, your life looks no different than mine. All right? So, personal witness or personal evangelism has to do with relationships. It happens within the context of a relationship. And it's not about just putting a notch in our belt or counting up numbers. Back in the 70s, uh, churches, lots of churches, even Baptist churches, were involved in Numbers. We want to get the Sunday school attendance way up, you know, and and uh, and see what we can do to get more numbers, and and then you you report this to all these other churches and things like that. Um, but but personal evangelism treats people as people, not as numbers. I I tease uh, I tease uh, people when they ask me, um, you know, they find out how many kids are in my family. They they ask usually the first thing they ask me is my number, you know what number are you, and uh, and I usually respond with I like to be known as a name rather than a number, uh, because sometimes that's the way you can you can feel I'm just like one of another one of eight, so I, no, I'm four of eight number four of eight but but that's the way we can treat people when it comes to evangelism like I I got them I hooked them instead of seeing these, this person as a soul that needs that needs Christ. Personal evangelism, all about relationships. It's more concerned with the message than the technique. Okay? 
what we should focus on, turn to 1 Corinthians 2. We should be more concerned about the content of the message of the gospel than the technique. Okay, so as Mark Dever puts it, don't worry so much about the envelope that contains the gospel. Just take the, the, the gospel out of the envelope and give it to them. Okay, we try to package it up all perfectly and make sure that our envelope's the right color, the right size, the right texture. And we do this in several ways by, you know, um, maybe using some sales techniques and all that sort of thing. But what you're going to find in the scripture, the power's not in the technique. The, the power to convert a person doesn't come from how well we present the gospel. The power comes from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2. Would someone read verses 1 through 5? Alright, I love those last two verses. Okay. You know these motivational speakers that get up there and they're just very engaging and just you can't stop listening to them. They they have the right uh tone and the right uh pitch and volume and and uh they have crescendos and decrescendos within their voice and and they have really um, convincing sorts of I'm not really giving an example of it with the way that I'm trying to explain this, but 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 the idea is that, that that sort of thing is not necessary when it comes to the gospel. You could stumble over all your words and you know have to go back and say, you know, I forgot that where I need to go back. But when a person receives the gospel, that's how they came that's how they come to Christ. It's the gospel, not your presentation of the gospel. So, for example, think about how you came to Christ. Did the person who presented the gospel to you or the multiple people or preachers that presented the gospel to you, did they do it in such an eloquent way with persuasive speech and such a... Does anyone have an example or a negative example? One where you, it wasn't very persuasive, but it was just the gospel that came and changed your heart. Vicki. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, the, the the key is not okay. We have to have the people with the highest education. Here's the danger. We get going along in the Christian life, and we see, you know, this gospel is very complex in some ways. I mean, there's so much to it. You know, we we read through the epistles, and there's so many implications of it. And so I can't give it myself. I can't do it until I get to a higher level of learning. So I'll just leave giving the gospel to the professionals. But here's what Paul's saying. I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I just came to you with the gospel. And so we should be more concerned with the content of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying, you know, just throw out gospel words and it doesn't matter our, our content. I am saying we should be concerned about the content, but as far as the delivery, don't worry about that as much. That's not as critical. What is critical is what is being said. That's how people are going to come to saving faith in Christ. 
And so um, we want to see people come to Christ through our message, and that should be supported by our personal testimony, right? All right, now, we can evaluate um, if our gospel was accepted or not, and there are there, there's an, an initial evaluation and then an ongoing evaluation. The initial evaluation is, was enough truth taught to make an appeal for a meaningful response? Did we say enough about the gospel in order to bring about a response? Or did we just give them snippets of it? Now, I've said before in other places, and I, and I will hold to this, that we don't have to give them all the gospel every time we speak to them. Sometimes... Uh, you know the the um, the thought is on on our part is we got to give them the whole gospel so they can respond now. And there is a sense in which we should have urgency, yes, but we don't have to always give them the whole gospel. In other words, um, okay, you you have to go through the Romans road, right? If you come to to uh, into a remember, if it's about relationships, you're going to have time. Okay, it's going to happen over time. You're going to see open doors for this. You come into a relationship with a person, you find out one of their hang-ups with the Christian message is they don't believe that they're a sinner or they don't believe that their sin is bad enough to send them to hell. They think that they have enough good works to save them. And so maybe what you need to convince them instead of, okay, I'm going to go through every aspect of the gospel. You're a sinner. You deserve judgment. Christ came to take your judgment. And now you need to respond with saving, uh, with repentance and faith. Instead, maybe you're going to have to spend a lot of time on this first part right here. You are a sinner, and your sin is worthy of judgment. All people deserve God's judgment. And until you see them turn the corner on that part, they may never get over to here where they see the beauty of Christ, that He's willing to take that upon Himself through His death. And so... Um, so we have to be uh, in recognition of that. But ultimately, once once we have that opportunity, if this happens through a long period of time through relationships, we should be able to go back and say, did we give enough truth for them to be ma- able to make a response or is it just partial? They have a partial understanding. And then secondly, was the conscience probed regarding their sin? Okay, that really speaks to what I just finished talking about. All right. Any questions so far or comments? Vicki. Yeah. Well, the gospel is offensive, so the, the goal is not to, to be non-offensive. Um, so, um, yeah, there, I don't know. I mean, if you, I think if Paul was thinking in those terms, he would probably say, you know, the message of the cross is foolishness to them. I mean, it, it is offensive. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. And unless they see it as offensive, they're not going to turn from their sins. Um, so so it's not like we come preaching hellfire and brimstone, like you are going to die and go to hell. What happens if you... That sort of thing. But rather, it should be done in a... In a um, with a sense of a humility because we recognize that we were once there too and we don't want to see them we don't want to see them go there and it's it's more like um, you know I maybe this illustration is overused but 
but the person in a burning building who doesn't want to come out. You know, you you plead with them lovingly and humbly recognizing you were there once, but at the same time you do it with urgency saying this is this is about your eternal life. Right? Paul Right. Make yourself the illustration. Right. Yeah, because otherwise it tends to look like, oh, I'm I'm up at this level and and uh, right. Good. Bill. All right. Mark. Right. About this here, this top one. Yeah. Yeah, the technique I was talking about was with regard to delivery. Not necessarily how we actually come into a relationship with these people, but the delivery of the gospel message itself. So, if it's done... Right. Well... Well, in the corporate message of the gospel, we're still concerned about, and I'm talking about the delivery of the message itself. So that, you know, a gospel presentation through, I guess, through music and singing. I mean, we are concerned about the message that if we shouldn't be singing pop songs or, you know what I mean? They, the, go, the gospel should be coming through there. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that one. So, I, Yeah. So when you say if you say I don't like the word you use anyhow, but if you're going to say corporate evangelism is somewhat more in terms of Yeah. Well, I think ultimately a person's not going to come to Christ through, you know, polished technique. It, you could have you know, you could have terrible music and, you know, forgotten lines and and all sorts of things, and a person still could come to Christ. So, it's always the message. Um, I don't know how to relate a corporate... I, I think that I, I don't think they're any different, actually. I think the message is... Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm not suggesting that we we should be uh, we should be foolish or uninformed when it comes to our gospel presentation. But our gospel presentation should primarily primarily be concerned, or our focus of our learning should be on the message itself, on what 
are we giving to them, not how we give it to them necessarily. Sandra? Yeah, it's good. We're actually going to hit on that just in a second. We'll talk about it's more God-centered than man-centered. Greg? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, it's good because, you know, when we we're going to get to this, too, if we have enough time. But, you know, our job is to spread the seed. But God's job is to produce the fruit, to produce the plant that produces the fruit. And so that means we need to pray that God will will bring up uh, genuine spiritual life there, because without Christ, we can do nothing unless the Lord builds the house. Right. We have to be dependent upon God. All right, um, the message of personal witness. Focus should be on God, not on man. Let me just try to paint out a, a caricature the two different types of gospel messages that are generally in there. These are probably on a continuum, so there's different levels of, of this. But there's a man-centered approach to evangelism. That is, that the gospel is all about you. You know, um, that God is your loving friend. He's, he's your buddy. And uh, we tend to, when we go that way, we tend to minimize God's authority, His holiness. Um, man-centered uh, evangelism views the lost from the standpoint of their own needs. Okay, so what kind of needs do you have? How can we help you come to a place of self-actualization? That's not what the gospel does. It doesn't help you come to a place of, of self-actualization. It helps you uh, become more humbled and and recognize your own dependence, that you're not independent. You can't come to a place where you're, uh, that you're independent of God. It's not that man is deprived, they are depraved. We all are depraved and we need Christ to save us. Man-centered uh, evangelism tends to focus on Christ as Savior only rather than Christ as Savior and Master or Lord. So we don't just talk about how, again, this is all these, let me give you all these benefits for you, you, you. Now, this is about Christ and our response to Him, what our response should be. I mean, we, we have turned from Him. We have turned from God, even though He created us. And we need to recognize and acknowledge Christ as our Lord. And then man-centered uh, evangelism stresses the idea of man accepting God rather than responding to God. And um, so we're trying to highlight here, instead of that, we should highlight God's grace, God's sovereignty, that He is in control of all things, God's holiness. He demands perfection. We can't attain to that. And for some reason, obviously, we don't, we don't uh, eliminate th- those other things, God's love and things like that. But But that's not... 
all that the gospel is about. It's about um, God demanding a person to to be righteous, and they can't do it. They need Christ. So it should be God-centered. And God-centered evangelism focuses on the character of God, number one. The character of God. When Paul was speaking to the um, Areopagus there in Acts chapter 17, he begins with God as creator and sovereign ruler. Okay, And what you're going to find in a lot of the the sermons that come in in the book of Acts is that they go back to the Old Testament. They they start with the beginning. Who God is, what God has done, what God demanded, and how man failed at that. So it starts with God's character. And then it moves to our sinful condition, the character of man, our sinful condition that that we haven't met up to God's standard for us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. And, um, and then it moves to the life, death, and lordship of Christ. The works of Christ. That he, he lived a perfect life in our place and He died as a perfect sacrifice in our place. And the proof that that was legitimate was that He was resurrected. Right? He has power over death. And then finally, we uh, should focus on a response. A response to Christ. That it's not just, okay, it's good enough to know these facts. We actually have to do something about them because the, de- the demons know all these facts. They know uh, all these things, but they don't respond. In, in, not that they can respond. Obviously, God, Christ didn't die for demons or any angels. But, but, but the point is, is, is a person can know all these things without responding and not be a Christian. So we have to move them to a place where they actually respond to the gospel. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, as uh, Greg was saying, that that we depend upon God. Okay, our responsibility is to give the gospel, to try to influence them toward a a a right decision to pray for them. Our responsibility is one of faithfulness to what God has told us to do. God's responsibility is to to bring the fruit. We can't, you know, pull that 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 uh, sprout out of the ground and then force fruit to come out of it, right? We can spread the seed, we can cultivate growth, uh, but we can't ultimately bring about the growth that is necessary. All right. There's a couple evidences of fruit, uh, of the fruit. We could call this the results of personal witness. Um, there are some initial evidences, and I'll go back to this this uh, cultivating this kind of uh, gardening illustration. There's initial evidence of growth, and then there's continuing evidence of growth. When we give a person the gospel, what we can't see is fruit. We can't see final fruit that they are legitimately a Christian. Right, just like you can't tell when the when the uh, sprout comes up from the ground if it's legitimate or not, if it's going to make it, if it's if it's planted its roots deep enough to the water that, to actually provide life-giving fruit. So we can't know that, but what we can know initially is is uh, these three things. First, have they actually professed faith in Christ? Because 
because uh, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Christ raised Him from the dead, then we will be saved. So that's one of the evidences that a person has this sprout coming up. They started to sprout, right? Are they obedient through baptism? You know, baptism doesn't save a person. We talked about that. But but have they followed in obedience? This is a very simple way just to see if they're willing to identify themselves with Christ. Have they done that? And then, are they committed to the local church? Are they willing to join the local church? These are things that all happened in the book of Acts. That they were Those who believed the Word were baptized and were added to the church. These are the very first two steps of obedience that a person should take following their conversion. Okay, so that's the initial evidence. We start to see the sprout. But there will be many sprouts, right? And the people to whom we witness and who give a response. There will be many sprouts, but not all of those sprouts will actually turn into fruits. And so we need an ongoing evidence of fruit or continuing evidence. And the first is belief in orthodox doctrine. Okay, are these long term? We look over a long term. As they start to understand and learn some of the orthodox truths that come from the scripture, the virgin birth, right, the resurrection, um, they, the, the Trinity when people start to understand them, they actually agree with them, not disagree. If they start to turn away from these things, then that could be an indication that they're not a Christian. A righteous lifestyle, right? John talks about this in 1 John. He gives these evidences. Okay, if you, if you continue practicing sin, you are not of God. If you practice righteousness, you are of God. He makes it very black and white, doesn't he? You either are or you aren't. And then he uses another proof. Okay, you want to say you love God? Show me love for other believers. And um, that will give you good good evidence for yourself and also for other people as well, um, whether that, that is genuine fruit. All right, so that's personal evangelism in a, in a short amount of time. Next, we need to look at corporate evangelism. We'll try to get through some of these points here before we're done. Any questions, though? Or comments so far? All right, corporate evangelism. The goal um, includes personal evangelism, but also integrates the 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 believer, the the person who was who responded into a larger. Uh, or, or there's a larger goal here. And the larger goal is to incorporate them into a congregation of believers. So again, our goal in evangelism, personally and corporately, is not to just get converts. We want to see those converts grow and come to this point over here where they're actually bearing fruit. And that's something that we have to work on over a long period of time. And, you know, because like Mark chapter 4 talks about the parable of the soils, there are going to be different. There's going to be lots of sprouts, right? Some of them get choked out by the cares of this world. Others just simply didn't have enough root, so they died out from the heat. Uh, but then there are others who actually got their roots down to the life-giving source of the water of the Word, and now they're bearing fruit. And so we're going to have people like that who actually show those initial signs of life. It looks like they're real Christians, but then over time... And, and as they start to fall underneath trial, we see if they genuinely are Christians or not, right? And um, so, 
So our job is to get them into the local church, to con- to see them converted and then see them added and plugged into the local church. Because as a church, our our goal is not just to get more numbers. Our our goal is to is to reproduce congregations that we are establishing ourselves as a body unified around the gospel, but then also being able to send other people out to establish other congregations throughout our area. Um, so, for example, Paul's, um, Paul's goal there in Acts chapter 1, that, or, or I'm sorry, when Jesus gave the, uh, the apostles his, his commission there, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And um, you need to go to Jerusalem, and then you need to go to Jeru- Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That it doesn't just stop, or, or, or life is not all just about your little congregation. Okay? It's about God's worldwide global focus, His desire to reach the nations. And so we should recognize that, that we, our job should be to reproduce churches. We do this through our missionaries, but... But we should also think about doing this locally as well. And you say, well, we're way, you know, we're way too small of a church to be even thinking that way. But I would suggest to you that, that there were several churches like this in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And while they may not have been able to fully support another congregation initially while they got off the ground, they were partnering with other churches in the area to reach more people for Christ. So, for example, if, if someone... Uh, from another church wanted to be sent out to plant a church in the city of Detroit. While we may not be able to give full support for that financially, we certainly could partner in that, send people down to help, you know, do whatever, canvas the neighborhood, tell them about uh, this new operation that's going on, tell them about Christ, see people come to Christ. Maybe we work with people down in Detroit. Now we can witness those people and instead of having them drive up, you know, 25 minutes to our church, we point them to a church down there. That would be a great service to them. And now we're reaching more than just our little Jerusalem. We're starting to move out to, you know, a more regional a more regional perspective. It's a larger goal than just our own church. And I think Paul um, had this sort of model when he set up churches in the book of Acts. He would, he would have a hub church that where he would... Um, train up leaders that would be able to to plant other churches. Okay, so the the goal is reproducing churches. You see a good model of this in the the work of Archie Perez. He was here a couple years ago, April, and he showed us how you know it just started out there with him and uh, I think another family, and they started up one church, and then that church became kind of the the headquarters or the hub for all these other churches that now have been planted in in areas nearby them. And and now these churches are becoming indigenous. He's able to move on to other areas and help other works get started. And uh, and that's the type of thing that we need to think about doing as a church as well. And um, I think God would be pleased in moving in, in our church, moving that direction as well. All right, so our scope is an expanding vision within the community. This is the Jerusalem, Acts 1-8. Okay, within our community, we want to see people come to Christ, not just um, not just in, in our own congregation, maybe the kids that are raised. Certainly we want to see them as well. But, 
but within our community, beyond the community. So that's Judea and Samaria. And, um, and, then, and then also to the uttermost parts of the earth we could include in that. All right. Um, so this endeavor of reproducing congregation is not the main priority of the church, but a priority. That is, remember, our main priority, the priority, was to edify believers. Primarily, we reach out to the people within our own congregation, trying to disciple them, make them more like Christ, and then an additional responsibility or mission that we have is to reach out to the people around us. And uh, we do this through evangelism and expansion. All right. Any questions or comments? I love seeing the the Bible's bigger picture for evangelism than just making converts. It's not just about that. It's not simply about uh, even making disciples, but it's about making churches and having the Word of God spread to more and more people. And uh, and we certainly can be a part of this through our own relationships and through uh, the relationships that God allows us to have through our church. Yeah. 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 One of the things that Paul and I are going to be able to do uh, when we go down to Uruguay is meet with all the churches. In fact, they're going to have a missions conference that they uh, scheduled purposely for the time we're going to be there and um, get to meet with all the churches. It's going to be quite a gathering, and uh, we're looking forward to that. See God working in that ministry and see how we can help pray for them and encourage them and continue to support them. All right, let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we uh, want to come more in line with Your Word and we have been challenged in our hearts to think about the relationships that we have right now, people with whom we know, and we pray that You'd help us to pray for them specifically and ask You for more opportunities to see the Gospel spread. May we, um, maybe, may we create those opportunities in a sense, but also jump on the ones that, that You make very clear for us. We pray that we would be intentional about our our gospel witness personally and as a church. May you give us the grace to do this and that the result, we pray, will be that more and more people will come to praise you for who you are. You are a great God and worthy of all of our praise as well as the praise of every creature on this earth. We want to see that happen as more people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, whom we love, who died for us, we pray in his name. Amen.